Thank you for joining us, and if you don't know me, if you're here, and you don't know me, if you're online and you don't know me, I'm Eric, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to connect with you. Pastor Steve uh, is taking a few well-deserved days off, so we just pray for his rest and, and restoration in that, and it's just great to be able to share with you here this morning in our continued series called Blessed Are Those. This series is through the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter 5. If you brought a Bible or you have it on your phone, you can turn to that. We're going to be simply turning to the next beatitude. And many of you, if you've journeyed alongside of us, you know that the beatitudes are the first 12 verses of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so in chapter 7, or verse, chapter 5, verse 7, we find our next beatitude that simply says this Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I want to do a little experiment with all of us. Whether you're here or you're at home, you can do this experiment as well. What I want you to do is to pretend that you are a judge. Now, some of you like to pretend that every day, right? But uh, I want you to pretend that you're a judge. I'm going to give you a real-life scenario, and I want you to, as objectively as you can, uh, figure out what you, how you would respond to this real-life scenario, okay? So the real-life scenario is that there is a man, a convicted criminal who is in his mid-70s, has had a history of cancer and other illnesses, and is very vulnerable, would be considered a vulnerable uh, part of the population for COVID-19. And as a convicted criminal, he's very concerned that he could contract COVID-19 in prison and therefore die. And so he has appealed to a judge asking for mercy. And this is what he says, it's there uh, on your screen. He says, Your Honor, I do not want to die in prison. I feel like I've aged 15 or 20 years. My fate is in your hands. Now, would you, as judge, would you extend mercy in this situation? Some of you might be leaning that way. Some of you might be, you're skeptical. You might want to know a little bit more information. Okay, here, here's a bit more information for you. What if I told you, if I told you that he was a politician? Would that change your posture, your disposition in extending mercy? What if I told you that not only was he a politician, now no hands here, no hands. What if I told you that he was a Democrat? Would that change things? What if I told you that this politician, this Democrat, has been convicted twice for the same charges against him? Once in 2015, where his charges were eventually on appeal, were tossed out over a technicality. He was retried over the same charges and still found guilty since 2015. Does that change your thoughts about this person? Okay, one last bit of information. What if I told you that despite being a politician and a Democrat, and by the way, whatever your disposition is, change it to Republican, whatever makes you more angry. What if I told you that despite being a politician and a Democrat and convicted twice on the same charges since 2015, he has not once served a single minute in prison? Does that change your posture and your disposition in extending mercy? I want to suggest to you that mercy is personal. It's personal, and it's personal because it challenges our very sense of justice. And I'm glad that Pastor Steve made a connection between righteousness and justice because we all have 
a sort of balancing scales in our own minds and our own hearts as to what is fair, what is right. Justice is fairness. Justice is rightness. And we all make those determinations as to what is right and, and what is fair. And when we're asked to lay down those different things, it appeals to our sensibilities. It appeals, depending on the topic, whatever gets us revved up and emotional and invested personally, it challenges our, our sense of, of mercy. Much of the justice that we see and think about in our world today is something called retributive justice from the word retribution. It simply means to get even, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There are consequences to actions. For every action, there is a reaction. There's a response to everything that we do. That is the way of the world. And when we feel victimized by others, behavior or words, when we feel the sting and the harm Upon us or on our loved ones or those that we connect or associate with, we feel that and we feel the need in, the, in fairness to get back. There's a definition of mercy. It is uh, forgiveness and compassion by one who holds power to inflict punishment or harm. And we don't realize sometimes the power that we have, the power with our words, the power, any, a power of our words, a power of our actions that can be weaponized to u- be used against another person. The power of manipulation and gossip and slander. The power of our manipulative actions towards other people. Even our silence and our inactions can all be used to even the scales, to get even. And a lot of us wouldn't see ourselves as r- retributive people like We're out for vengeance. We're out to right the wrongs. We're out to get even or get after people. Most of us wouldn't say that. But retributive justice also applies when we, probably more predominantly applies when we feel defensive. When we feel like we are the ones that have been harmed. When it feels like a personal attack on us. And we feel the need that we just have to, in the name of fairness, right? To get back. And to get even. I'm sure you could think of all kinds of personal examples of how you have uh, lived this out. I, I can't tell you how many times in the course of what I'll call disagreements with my wife. In the course of having our disagreements and our discussions with one another. That it's very quickly, very quickly we can move off the topic at hand move away from trying to come up with a mutual solution, move away from trying to listen and to understand one another and quickly move to personal defensiveness. Where being right is the most important thing. Winning the argument is the goal of the discussion. I'm sure it happens for all of us. Even in the midst of fairness, when we feel as though we are under attack, we feel as though we need to get back, retributive justice. And we see examples of this probably in wider society, certainly amongst the media and social media as people uh, disagree, I'll call it that, with one another. And we see it personally in our own relationships. But what Jesus does in this beatitude is reorients us into a, a different kind of justice. You see, blessed are the merciful doesn't jive well with retributive justice. 
It doesn't go together with getting even or getting back. And it doesn't make sense. And if you're there in, amongst Jesus' audience and he's preaching this, this value, this, this whole new value system, he said, blessed are the merciful. Jesus, that doesn't make sense because if I'm merciful to the one who has caused me harm, they win. They get away with it. They continue to prosper and I have to deal with the consequences. That's not fair. And yet Jesus calls us into a different, reoriented vision of justice from a retributive justice to a restorative justice. And restorative justice is the restoration of estranged or harmed relationships. This is why acts of mercy are seen as acts of charity. All throughout church history, acts of mercy were seen. Health care, tending to the poor and the homeless. The church was the lead in, in tending to people like this because as they tended to the lepers or the, the widows and the orphans, they were estranged from society. They were marginalized, they were oppressed, and these acts of mercy would restore them through their actions, restore them back to society. Restorative justice. The vehicle of restorative justice is mercy. It's mercy. It drives the restoration of estrangement and harmed relationships. The big difference, isn't it, when we go about thinking about how we're going to enact justice or how we're going to enact mercy? Am I there to get right or to be right? Or am I there to restore a relationship? It is a whole different frame of thinking. This is why Jesus has to reorient everything. He, he says this in, in Matthew chapter 5, 38. He said, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's retributive justice. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And I believe Pastor Steve talked about this scripture last week. It doesn't sound fair, does it? It sounds wrong even sometimes. Why would I let this go? It hurts so bad. Why would I let them get away with it? And what is Jesus getting at? And the truth is, if we are gonna be in any relationships with each other, we have to have mercy. Uh, our relationships thrive and survive on mercy. Marriages won't survive without mercy. Your work relationships, they won't work without mercy. Your friendships, your partnerships, whoever you have a relationship with, whatever kind of relationship it is, it won't survive without mercy. Because mercy is the driver of restoration. And this is personal for us. Yes, because of our own relationships, but also because of our relationship with God. Did you see in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy for they will be shown mercy. And this is what we've, we're seeing in all the Beatitudes, isn't it? That while each Beatitude has an earthly application, it also has a heavenly consequence. It has a relevant and, and earthly application for us and for our lives, but it also has a heavenly consequence. 
As much as it has to do with the mercy that we show for the restoration of our own relationships, it also has very much to do with our relationship, our personal relationship with God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is attuned with the very gospel of Jesus Christ. That the sin in the world, the sin of humanity, through which we're victims of and also participants of, has caused us to be estranged from God the Father. And so Jesus, in an effort to reconcile us back to God, died on the cross, rose on the third day, that we can be reconciled to God and be a reconciled people, participating, as Paul says, in the ministry of reconciliation where people that were once far off are brought near, those who are estranged are now in communion in a personal covenantal relationship with God that is restored. Why? Because God, despite us not deserving it, God chose mercy. And so as much as we enjoy the mercy of God, we also are invited to share in that and to live it out in tangible ways. And it doesn't matter where you come from, what your life has been like, no matter how long long you've been going to church or if you just come into church for the first time. We all need, our relationship with God depends on this mercy. This This is what Paul is saying in Romans 9, 16. It says, Uh, He's talking about Jew and Gentile, who's got the corner of the market on salvation. And he says, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. We are dependent on God's mercy. Mercy that is shown to us and then we are called to participate in because God wishes to restore all of humanity. As much as a restored relationship has taken place with me and God and with you and God through Jesus Christ, God has the same desire through mercy, the vehicle of mercy to restore relationship even with the people. (laughs) Man, I don't want to show mercy to because they've hurt us. They've harmed us. They've used words against us and their actions hurt. I don't want to show mercy. Mercy. So the rest of this time, I just want to share three types of people that I think it's extra difficult to show mercy to. Three types of people. And if there's any one of these that really hits home to you and just invite you to make a note on your phone or write it down. If you're at home, you write it down. You could discuss it later. One might weigh more heavily than the other, but three, three types of people that I want you to consider in this revolutionary type of mercy that seeks to restore relationship. The first is, um, sounds simple, but it's difficult, and that is yourself. To be merciful to yourself. Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And yet how often do I hear from people that stand on the promises of Jesus and yet still have a hard time receiving God's mercy because they can't extend it to themselves. Their sense of self-worth and their lowest self-esteem has created a blockade 
from accepting and receiving the fullness of Jesus' mercy. They can't simply believe that they are redeemable. This is why I, and something I know very well, this is why in my own prayer rhythm, I use a, a prayer guide, a prayer rhythm each morning, and I do that because of one particular part, well, a few different particular parts in the prayer guide, but there's one really important part of the prayer guide, and that is confession. And the reason why I do this prayer guide and this prayer rhythm that includes confession is because if I was left on my own, I wouldn't be confessing. And it's not necessarily because of a prideful spirit, and I think that I've done nothing wrong and I have nothing to confess to God. To God. Actually, it's the opposite, when I know I've got some splaining to do, <laughs> when I know that I have a laundry list to bring before the Lord, I find myself hiding away. Just like Adam and Eve when they were first exposed in, their, in the original sin. They were exposed and they saw the nakedness before them. What did they do? They hid away in their shame. I do the same thing in my own spirit. And I refuse to confess because I'm still so mad at myself. And Jesus is saying, why would you withhold yourself from the very thing I died for? Be merciful to yourself. And this might speak to you more heavily during this pandemic because as statistics show us and what I can tell you as a pastor in my day-to-day ministry, that, that being kind to yourself, being merciful to yourself is extra difficult these days. Our sense of self-worth, anxiety, depression. It is hitting very hard to all of us. Those that are in recovery, in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, the same thing. When temptations are knocking at the door and that voice and the tape in their head is continuing to say, you're not worthy of this. All as a way of distracting from simply receiving mercy, the mercy of Jesus. That's the first person that perhaps we should consider when it comes to being merciful. The second is to be merciful to the stranger. It's so much easier to be merciful to people that we know, much harder for the stranger. It was actually funny, I was, a couple months ago, I was talking to a mother on the phone who was asking for some advice because her son was about to be released from prison and was asking some advice for you know, counseling and getting restored back into society and all of that. It was a very, very interesting conversation. And what was very interesting about it is the way that this mother was describing their, her son, who was a criminal, and describing what he did. And I, I could tell you the way she described this was probably gonna be really different than any headline would, would, would describe it. There was sort of a mismatch there, and I would expect that from a mother, right? A mother would look at a son who has done terrible things, but still describe them and look at them much differently than, than other people that don't know his story, that don't know him particularly. The description and the way that this person was being viewed was completely different from someone that really truly knew them and loved them and had compassion for them, as opposed to everybody else. Isn't that the challenge of social media these days? To, to hide behind anonymity? To hide behind the computer screen? To keep that distance so that we can be extra mean to one another? God is calling us to extend mercy to the stranger. And this is so much more important for people of faith than everybody else. And here's why. 
And one of my favorite parables of Jesus, one of the most popular parables of Jesus called the Good Samaritan. And Jesus sets up this parable by first talking about how he is thankful to God and how God revealed the truths of salvation to the unwise and the unlearned among them. He's talking about his disciples, which I don't know if they should take offense to that or not. And he's thanking God for that. But just after that, a very learned and very wise and very educated person approaches Jesus, a lawyer, an expert in the law. And he says, Jesus, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what do the scriptures say? He answers back and says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great. You do this and you'll live. And then the story goes on. Luke 10, 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. See that word, justify, justice, justify. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked for a qualifying question. And who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on with a parable, a story, which is interesting because the parable in the story doesn't answer the lawyer's question of who's my neighbor, but it does answer the justification, the self-righteous justification that this lawyer is trying to dupe Jesus into. He talks about a man, and many of you are familiar with this, he talks about a man that was beaten on the side of the road, left for dead. And there were two specific people that could have come to his aid, but instead went on the other side of the road, distanced themselves from this stranger. A priest and a Levite, church leaders, leaders of the religious community. And then, and this was real, the real slap in the face to this lawyer, and then a Samaritan comes by. The atheist person that does not know God, does, does not follow God's ways, does not live according to the covenant of God. The Samaritan was the one who came to the aid of this broken, beaten down man, put him in an inn, wrapped him, around, wrapped him in cloths, put him in an inn, paid for his stay at the inn, went away, came back, paid for the rest of his stay until he was completely restored and healed. And then in verse 36 of Luke chapter 10, he says this. So, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We, as people of faith, this parable is so much more than teaching us how to be a good person, which is how many of us see this parable. It's an indictment on the people of faith. How are you going to extend mercy even to the stranger? How far are you willing to take the mercy of Jesus that has been lavished upon you and extend it to people that you don't even know? How far are you willing to take this? So Jesus is asking us 
as merciful people to extend mercy to ourselves, to the stranger, and if it didn't get any worse, there's one more. Extending mercy to our enemies. To our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 to 48, Jesus is still preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, have you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are challenging and difficult words. But they come from the very aim and very heart of God to restore all of humanity back in in a reconciled relationship with him. And if there's any body of people that should forward, that lead out and be forward in their mercy in the world around us, it should be the very people who have enjoyed the very mercy of God in their personal relationship with Christ. As we have received mercy, we are called to live mercy. As we receive mercy, we're called to give mercy. And we're called to expand the boundaries of that mercy far beyond those that deserve it, those that treat us with the same respect, to all people even the stranger, even the enemy, and even ourselves. Yes, these are challenging words. Yes, this is a lot to take in. But only because it comes from God. And only because we live in a world that says that we should be getting back and getting even and fighting for our rightness. But to quote a preacher that I heard this week, it doesn't do any good to be right if we're not righteous. So how far can we take it? How far can we extend the mercy of Jesus? Pray that you take that with you this week, that you would name names, that you would consider the challenging conversations and interactions and people. And then ask, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today and how I can take mercy one step forward? Let's pray together. So Holy God, as we have received your mercy and we stand in gratitude of that, help us to live it out. Help us to share it. I truly believe, Lord God, that it is your heart to restore all of humanity. Help us to live a mercy-forward life so that others can see you and to commit themselves to you and to know and to enjoy what it's like to be in a relationship with you, a freeing relationship, Lord, that does not heap up condemnation and blame and accusation, but has the freedom of living in your love. Help us to be that presence 
Help us to be that voice. Help us to be that light. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us here this morning on this time of worship. I pray that you've been inspired and blessed as God's Holy Spirit speaks into your heart, specifically on this topic of mercy. In just a few minutes, there's going to be a series of questions that pop up on the screen. If you're gathered with your loved ones right now, I just invite you to take a few moments to discuss some of these questions, just to deepen in the topic and to bring out more and what it means for your life. Of course, the goal is to have a few things in your back pocket as you go out in this week and become and live out uh, your relationship with God and specifically in being a person of, of mercy. If you're by yourself, pull out a journal. Just uh, reflect on some things. Take a few notes. And through all of this, we just trust that God's Holy Spirit that is within you is working to mold and shape and perfect you into the likeness of Jesus. So have a wonderful week. It was great to connect with you here this morning and may God bless you.
Thank you.